Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. She was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, There are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Let's pray together. Father, we always appreciate your word. We want to come to it with fresh understanding, believing, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can teach us what it says and apply it to our lives right now, today, Lord, so that it would make a difference, the difference that you intended it to make when you inspired it so long ago. That we would have come into this place wanting to worship you, that we would leave having done so and being filled with your spirit, your spirit of grace and mercy, of understanding and wisdom, Lord, so that we might further this kingdom of God that you're talking about, so that others may know that you live and that you live in us and we in you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Quality of life is a phrase we've heard a lot recently. Terry Schiavo was repeatedly described as having a poor quality of life, as if that by itself were a diagnosis which justified removing her feeding tube. There are a lot of people less severe than Terry Schiavo who have quality of life issues. Maybe you are handicapped, either slightly or severely or you're battling some long-term illness. At what point, using what standards, do you or someone else determine that your quality of life is so compromised that you should be allowed or assisted to commit suicide, or that you should be killed for your own and society's good? We're going to be confronting cases like these more and more as time progresses. There's a woman in our story who had severe quality of life issues, Regardless the source or the course of her condition, she had for 18 years been bent over and unable to raise herself. One author described her like this, and I quote, She lived in a posture of forced humility, her face always toward the dust of the earth, unless she wrenched herself sideways and peered upward like an awkward animal. She seemed to sink lower and lower as the weight of the years pressed upon her. Her gait was a lunging shuffle, She walked about as if she were searching for a grave. And yet for all her suffering, her spiritual focus was upward, 
as difficult as it was to get ready and to get around, she was in the synagogue. Apparently she was a regular worshiper because no one took any special notice of her. Her quality of life was first and foremost spiritual. Her physical condition was secondary. Now true, Jesus touched her and healed her, but she was a worshiper long before she was loosed from her infirmity and she enjoyed a spiritual quality of life those 18 years. We live in a fallen world. Illness, injury, and infirmity will affect your physical quality of life. But you can enjoy a spiritual quality of life regardless your physical condition. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, you are loosed in the ways that bring God glory. And number two, you are loose in the world to spread God's glory. First of all, in verses 10 through 17, you are loosed in the ways that bring God glory. If you've ever had back trouble, you know how difficult simple tasks become. People say to me all the time, uh, you know, I, people have described back trouble to me, and I thought they were just being a bunch of wimps. I mean, how bad could your back really hurt? And then they wrench their back or something goes out, uh, they crush a disc or something, and then they know. You, you, you don't sleep very well because every time you move, you wake up. It's amazing how many times you move in the, in the night, isn't it? Every few minutes you're waking up, going, oh, and you're trying to lift yourself sideways to get a new position because your back is just killing you. You can barely dress yourself. Sometimes you can't really even dress yourself. Every movement of your body hurts. You're exhausted before you even get out of bed, certainly before you leave the house if you leave at all. The woman in our story had the additional burden of being deformed. It added a psychological element to her suffering as people stared at her and in their culture would whisper in hushed tones wondering what sin she had committed that she was in this terrible wrenched over condition. There was no handicapped access. You understand that, don't you? There was no Israel Disabilities Act in those days. The Roman government didn't pass laws that made you have ramps for people who were uh, bent over. There were no special seats in the synagogue. There was nothing at all to make it more comfortable for this bent woman to attend a synagogue service. She would have to leave her house hours before others just to get there on time. It was about as hard as it could be for her to get up and to go to the synagogue. Once she got there, think about her clothing. You know they wore those long flowing robe type clothing in those days. She was bent over towards the ground. No matter how she wanted to look on Sunday morning, she was filthy and dusty and dirty. Might as well not put on makeup because it's just going to get full of dirt and dust by the time you get there. And so she was a mess. Yet there she was mingled among the regular worshipers. There's one more important detail before we begin to look at the verses. Jesus is going to call her a daughter of Abraham. Now to you and me, that's just another way of saying that she was Jewish. Well, of course she was Jewish. It meant something different to Jesus. One time in a discussion with unbelieving Jews, Jesus, uh, they claimed to Jesus that they were the sons of Abraham. And Abraham looked at them and he, or Jesus looked at them and he said, you're not the sons of Abraham, you are of your father the devil. Well, they didn't like that as you can imagine. 
Only believers were the true sons and daughters of Abraham as far as Jesus was concerned. Jesus used this phrase one other time when he called Zacchaeus a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus, you'll remember, was the short tax collector who climbed a tree to get a better look at the Lord as he was passing through town. Jesus stopped, saw him there, and he said, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight for dinner. He did that. And at dinner, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. And so to Jesus, if you were a son of Abraham, if you were a daughter of Abraham, you were a saved individual. Anybody short here this morning? I want to minister to you right now. Some of you who are vertically challenged. It's a difficult world I know that you live in. It's tough being short. Whole songs and parodies have been written about you. There's a whole industry of stepping stools and platform shoes that, that belong to you. Well, I want to minister to you right now. I feel just a sense to do that. One short man, Zacchaeus, and one shortened woman. They're the only ones called the true son and daughter of Abraham in the Scripture. And so the next time somebody gives you a hard time, stand up as tall as you can. And remember these two fantastic characters. Now, we are certain that this bent woman was a believer when Jesus encountered her. She lived as a believer with her long-term infirmity. In other words, God chose to not loose her until Jesus was in the synagogue. She had suffered as a believer 18 long years. And so verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. The consensus of modern opinion is that she was suffering from an affliction that's called spondylitis deformans. I just wanted to say that this morning. <laughs> it causes the bones of your spine to fuse into a rigid mass. And so you could say that she was suffering from a rigid spine, or you could say she had spondylitis deformans. This is what I love about going to the doctor. You go in and they, you say, Doc, what's wrong with me? And they say, well, you have spondylitis deformans. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? It's akin to some kind of an arthritis where you're, you know, and stuff. So, okay, thanks. You know, it's, I guess all those years of medical training, you know, they, they've got to come forth like that. I remember one time. Years ago, Pam, she was in intense pain. We brought her to the emergency room, and the doctor, he wasn't our regular doctor, or else he wouldn't have done this because he knows how stupid I am, but he, he, the doctor came out, and he goes, uh, your, your wife has an ectopic pregnancy. I was all excited, so thrilled, because we've been trying to get pregnant. You know, I thought, oh, praise the Lord. You know? And I went in, and she still seemed pretty bad, and I said, what's, what's up? And she goes, I have a tubal pregnancy. And I go, oh. I still didn't know what that was, but... <laughs> I was still a little excited, you know, but I knew something was wrong, and finally they explained it to me. So anyway, I think I have brainalitis deformans. But uh, so anyway, <laughs> now we've touched upon the possible physical condition. What is the spirit of infirmity? Well, part of the answer comes a little later when Jesus says she has been bound by Satan. And so we have to say that her condition had something to do with the devil and with his demons. However, one more fact, she was not possessed 
or even oppressed by the devil or demons in a direct manner. We can say that because Jesus didn't cast out any demons. He did not cast out a spirit of infirmity. He simply healed her of her physical affliction. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is a little important because there are people who assign spirits to all different types of of problems that Christians and non-Christians have. And, and, you know, it can be confusing. You know, you have a spirit of infirmity or a spirit of this, a spirit of that, as if there, you know, are spirits that specialize in these things. And, and, uh, but a lot of times they take it further and they'll, they'll, they'll try to cast out the spirit of alcoholism from a person. You have the spirit of, uh, of alcoholism. Well, no, that's not... I, I mean, it's not like one day you're walking down the street and then the spirit of alcoholism comes in. And you say, man, I've got to get to the tavern and start drinking my brains out, you know. Where's Mr. Bills, you know, and stuff. I mean, it's just not like that. I mean, alcoholism, drug addiction, things, I mean, those are decisions that we make. And obviously the whole world is influenced by the evil one and all, but you're not. And so you don't want to, you know, people sometimes think, well, you need to cast out this spirit of drinking from somebody. No, you're a drunk and you need to quit drinking. It's an act of the will. And so we want to be careful about that. Now, all disease, spondylitis deformans included, is the result of sin entering the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Like it or not, we are all affected by the fall of our parents in the Garden of Eden. Then we factor in that God, for reasons we almost always disagree with, allows the devil to afflict us in different ways up to a certain point. Now, this woman is a kind of New Testament version of Job a believer whom God allowed the devil to afflict with a physical ailment up to the point of this rigid spine. It was a physical condition attributable indirectly to Satan because we live in a fallen world. But it did not dampen her spiritual life. That's the important point. We don't want to get off talking about spirits. We want to talk about her spiritual life because there she was, literally dragging herself to synagogue to worship the Lord. Now, Jesus took notice of her. When Jesus saw her, verse 12, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. She did not come seeking to be healed. She came to the synagogue as she did every week, as a regular worshiper, to answer her cell phone. (laughs) Thank you. God sought her out, calling her forward. The Lord touched her, and she was immediately, completely made whole. She glorified God. We take that to mean that she attributed her healing to God and gave him a verbal testimony, and that is undoubtedly true. I mean, we can imagine that even in a conservative setting, a person who is in a deformed condition and and then immediately miraculously healed. I mean, you know, you're going to shout amen, and the ushers probably aren't going to ask you to leave. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. She's thrilled and giving the glory to God. But I am reminded that before she was made straight, she glorified God. There she was, worshiping, attending services at great personal cost, giving glory to God despite her bent condition, despite her being bound for 18 years. 
It's the easiest thing in the world to get bitter and resentful when illness comes into your life, especially long-term illness, that there doesn't seem to be anything that you're going to be able to do about it. And especially in a first century culture where you don't even have to worry whether they're going to take your drug off the market because they don't even have a market for drugs probably. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And yet here she was week after week at the synagogue. Whether bent or straight, she was a worshiper. Had she not encountered Jesus that Sabbath, you get the impression she would have returned the following week. Not seeking a healing, but serving the Lord until he chose to take her home to heaven. God chose to loose her on that particular day because it would bring him a different glory, a new glory from her life. She would become a picture, a type in the written word of God for centuries for people to read and understand how the traditions of men, like the Sabbath, keep you bound, but how Jesus can come and straighten you out. Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. By the way, nobody asked him anything, but he answered anyway, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Now first, do you recognize she did not come to be healed on the Sabbath day? She just came to worship. And this guy didn't have the courage to address Jesus Christ. And so he addressed the crowd. Here's a crowd of worshipers. They've come just to worship God. And, and in that crowd is this woman, probably coming, you know, in one sense, the farthest distance when you factor in everything that's wrong with her. And if there was one woman in that crowd that you should have the most compassion on, that you should help up the steps and give the finest seat and do all of this to, it would be that woman. And instead, in a general rebuke, he says, you shouldn't have even come today. Because by your coming, it gave Jesus an opportunity to heal. So get out of here. This is religion. This is the result that religion always comes to. It always brings you to a place of burden where you are the person that is causing the problem. You are the difficulty. It's your cell phone going off. We could go for a record today. I think three is the record. But anyway, uh, so do you understand? So, so this is terrible. This is awful. This guy is a first-class jerk. And, and he's supposed to be the ruler of the synagogue. Now, we've talked a great deal in the past studies about the traditions associated with keeping the Sabbath. God never said you could not heal or help someone on the Sabbath. It was one of the hundreds and hundreds of rules that had been invented by these Jewish leaders, which made the Sabbath a crushing burden rather than the blessing that it was intended to be. Interestingly enough, Jesus performed seven Sabbath miracles. Seven miracles are recorded that he accomplished on the seventh day. Not by chance, uh, but by God's design, he was showing the Jews that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the Lord of the seventh day. That the Sabbath was made for man and that their traditions like not healing people on the Sabbath, were not in sync with the heart of God. And so verse 15, Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, 
Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. We would say that the person who was truly bound in our story was the ruler of the synagogue. He was bound by ritual religion. He could probably walk about. He was maybe in the, you know, the prime of his health, but he was bound up by ritual religion. All ritual religion is ridiculous at some point. If you step back from it, look at it, analyze it, see what they're actually doing, it's just ridiculous. There are no religious rites that can save a person. There's no special prayers that you can say for the dead. There is no consecrated substances like holy water or something like that that can affect a person. All religion is a bondage. You must be loosed from it and then have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This bent woman was already loosed spiritually. She was already a worshiper. It was the synagogue ruler who was bound, who didn't know how to worship God. Jesus healed her so that her physical condition could illustrate something important. Now, in a personal relationship with the Lord, you glorify God in whatever circumstance he allows in your life. You may be bound up with some disease or condition, but you nevertheless worship God and bring him glory. You may be loosed, healed at some point. If so, it is because God has determined it would be another way for you to glorify him. I want to go on record as saying I do not like disease and death. That might have been something that you were confused about, but I don't. I only say it because I talk a lot about oppression and suffering and affliction. Uh, but I don't like disease and death. I don't want to experience either one. I always think that health and healing would bring God the most glory. But I see in Scripture that that's not always the case. I see in uh, the world that that's not always the case. And so I must subordinate myself to God and to His plan for my life. And that is one of the things this bent woman teaches us. We are loosed in the ways that will bring God glory. And that means we worship him in sickness and in health, if I can borrow that phrase. She worshiped him in her sickness and she worshiped him when she was healed. It isn't that she was sick for 18 years and then she was set free to finally worship the Lord and that we should focus on that healing. It's that she worshiped him all the time, whether afflicted or set free, she was free to worship the Lord. And this is so important, it is so critical, because at some point or another, all of us are going to be afflicted with some illness, with some injury, with some infirmity. Even if you live your whole life relatively healthy, you're still going to die. And, and, it, and, you know, this is just the reality of living. And we have developed an idea sometimes even in the church that illness is bad and that healing is good and that I can only bring glory to God if I'm healed and healthy. And God says, you just bring glory to me 
in whatever state you find yourself in. Let me worry about what I want to do in and through your life. And many of you have the testimony, have told me your testimony that, man, I would not have chosen that illness. I would not have chosen that injury. I would not have chosen what happened in my life this past year or 10 years. But having gone through it, I see that I'm closer to God. I'm a stronger Christian. I know more about his love than I could have ever known before. And this is the conclusion of Job. Job said, I I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. He knew God in a deeper, richer way. And so it's all glory all the way. It's all worship. Now, Jesus cemented this experience in their minds by telling two little parables. And in them we'll see that you are loose in the world to spread God's glory. Verse 18, then he said, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden And it grew and it became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. Seed is used by Jesus to represent the word of God. It is being spread like seed as believers go through the world. Wherever it is spread, it grows. Mustard seeds are extremely small but they can grow fairly large. The Word of God may not seem like much, but it is living and powerful, and it can take root and grow far beyond your expectation. Birds, when spoken of in conjunction with seeds, are something bad. Birds eat the seeds, or as Jesus said in the parable of the sower, they steal the seeds, preventing them from being planted and growing. In our parable, the birds are in this flourishing tree. It's a picture of those who would seek to destroy the kingdom of God from within it. The Jewish religious leaders were like that. God had given them his word. In this case, the simple commandment, the fourth commandment, to worship him on the Sabbath. But they had stolen it and then perverted it to a point where what God intended as a blessing for mankind had become a burden. Think of it this way. Let's think of our journey through the world as if you're going through kind of a wilderness, a desert. Let's say you're going through a desert. And and, uh, God says, I'm going to give you this one gigantic shade tree, uh, sort of like an oasis in the middle of that desert. It's the Sabbath. And you're going to have to work hard and sweat and toil you know, in that. But one day you're going to be able to just set aside, worship me, sit under the shade of that tree, uh, renew your relationship with me, read the word of God, pray, you know, meditate, do those kinds of things. I mean, that's, that's a very simple concept. It's a wonderful concept. And that's what God intended the Sabbath to be. Logic, common sense, of course, if you have animals, you're going to water them and feed them on the Sabbath. God doesn't want your animals to starve and be mistreated. If you fall down in a ditch, of course, you're going to go and get your, you know, people are going to come and help you out. If you need to be helped or healed in any way on the Sabbath, well, the heart of God, of course, would would want that to take place. It's just really a time for you to just focus more on God. And so that's the tree, and you're looking forward to it. You want to go out under that shade tree and just experience the Lord. And then you get there and you find out that roosting in your tree are a flock of annoying birds. And they're squawking the whole time. And you're trying to read the word of God. You're trying to spend time with the Lord. And all you hear is this, you know. And you've got to be careful where you sit because they're dropping stuff all over you too. 
bird droppings. And, and so now all of a sudden, you don't even want to go under that tree. You'd rather just, hey, I'll just stay out in the, uh, in the wilderness. I'll just continue my journey because going under that tree has become more difficult than, than just living my life. And now you have no shade and you have no meditation and you have no rest. And this is the picture that Jesus said. This is what religion does to the simplicity of God's word. It perverts it. It roosts in its branches as it were and it destroys it. Nevertheless, there were still true sons and daughters of Abraham. No matter the efforts of the religious leaders to pervert the word of God, true worshipers still found their way to the kingdom of God. Think more about this woman, this bent over woman. I, I painted a small picture of how difficult it was for her to get to, to the synagogue. Add to that the things that went on at the synagogue were lame because of guys like this synagogue ruler. They were all ritual. They were all tradition. They put burdens on you rather than relieving your burden. It was a place you and I wouldn't even want to go to. If we went to a church like that, we would say, hey, forget that. I'm just going to stay home. You know, I don't, I don't need that. And yet, with the true heart of worship, she was able to cut through all of that, see through it, and meet with God at that place. And so there are always true worshipers. Now, leaven, you know, is yeast. Yeast is almost always seen as an evil, corrupting influence. I looked in my concordance. It's mentioned four times by the Apostle Paul in his writings, and all of them are negative. The unleavened lump of dough represents a congregation of believers. You and I, as a, a group of believers, we're like a lump of dough that is to remain unleavened, uncorrupted. We don't want to bring things in that will putrefy and corrupt that lump. I've often thought, uh, you know, as we would maybe someday have to think of a different name for our church, perhaps. A lot of churches do this. They want to become more contemporary. They don't want to be identified with their denomination anymore, even though they're still you know, a denominational church, and so they, they come up with these, um, you know, these names. They, they hire search committees and spend thousands of dollars. They come up with the same three names that churches have been using you know, for centuries. And, and, uh, but I always thought we could call ourselves the Lump of Hanford. <laughs> I mean, it's very biblical. Paul four times talks about purging out the old leaven from the lump, and you know, we could, dough, you know, doesn't, dough won't work because it seems like we're asking for money all the time, you know. And then we'd have our dough boys and dough girls, you know, and stuff like that. You know, it's hard to make this stuff up as you go. I mean, you know. And, uh, but, you know, we could just be the Hanford lump. Where do you go to church? I go to the lump. I'm telling you, people would flock here to uh, get it. I was just talking about birds. This is some of my best stuff. Anyway. Now, the Jewish religious leaders were this kind of influence. They inflated the lump. They inflated the word of God. Again, the fourth commandment, you can read it for yourself. It's not that difficult that, that God wants you to work six days and on the seventh day don't do any work and rest. And, and, and you get the impression that he just wants to enjoy some fellowship with you. But these guys come along like intellectuals always do, and they say, well, let's analyze this, you know, dot by dot and letter by letter. What constitutes work? Well, the, the average person knows already, but, but you're just too, you know, you're not part of the intellectual elite, so you're left out of this process. And so pretty soon there's thousands of regulations. 
So many that you couldn't possibly keep them all. What's work for one person is not work for another. You could carry, a, remember I told you a few weeks ago, you could carry a certain weight. And so you could carry the weight of a dried fig. And so let's say you're carrying a dried fig. That's going to be your lunch when you get you know, to where you're going. But if you dropped it, you couldn't pick it up because that would double the weight. You'd be carrying it twice. So you'd have to wait for somebody else to pick it up for you or you'd have to kick it along to where you were going. This is what the Sabbath had become, what God intended to be a blessing so that you could just relax and think about Him and His goodness and His greatness. These men had come along and said, oh, no, no, you're blowing it on the Sabbath. You're carrying more than the weight of a dried fig, brother. Are you a tailor? Yes. Are you carrying any needles? Well, yeah, I have my sewing needle. You're working on the Sabbath. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And so whatever occupation you are, you couldn't carry the tools of your trade on that day. You'd have to just leave them wherever you were and kindling fires and all these different things. And I mean, who would want to keep the Sabbath? Who would want to keep the Sabbath? It was a tremendous burden for these people. Nevertheless, even under that system, there were true sons and daughters of Abraham. We still have time. <laughs> okay. The kingdom of God will continue to spread despite all efforts, even from within it, to destroy it. There will always be true sons and daughters of God, always those who have been born again into the family of God. Now, the encouragement here is that we are loose in the world to bring glory to God. The woman in our story was bound by infirmity, but on the loose for 18 years, worshiping God. I mean, you know, if I'm at home on the Sabbath day, and I look out my window, and I see this old woman shuffling past, her face down towards the ground, I mean, I'm convicted. If, you know, I'm thinking, man, I, you know, I want to stay home because I have allergies today. I just, I don't really feel, I'm not at my best, you know. Or maybe I don't have the right clothes, you know, or, or whatever. I have, and, and she's like all filled with, you know, I mean, have you ever been in the third world where, you, you know, dirt roads and the things that happen on dirt roads? And, and uh, I, mean, I mean, she's a, 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 just a tremendous commitment to get to synagogue where nobody even wants to go anyway. But she was drawn there because she could cut through all of what was false and weird and worship her Lord there. And then she was loosed from her infirmity. And again, she brought glory to God. And I bet she couldn't wait to get to the synagogue week after week after week to sit straight up and to enjoy what God had done in her life. She could not be stopped from worshiping no matter her condition. It isn't that the 18 years of suffering was worth it because she was eventually healed. Those 18 years were just as precious to her, drawing her close to the Lord. It is always a powerful testimony of God's grace when those who are suffering continue to give glory to God. Your suffering may be temporary or it may be lifelong. Don't let it stop you from worshiping. Shuffle along through life showing others that life is essentially spiritual. It is not physical. You may be loosed from suffering if it can bring even more glory to God. If not, 
you will one day be loosed when you depart this planet, leaving the shell of your body behind for heaven. If a bent woman could drag herself to the synagogue to endure the burdensome false teaching she heard there, how much more should we run to fellowships where the worship of God is enriched by his presence and his word is enabled by his power? You know, just as an aside, it should be our desire as a fellowship of believers to be a, a place of refuge and healing and shade and meditation and all of these things rather than putting burdens on people to lift burdens off of people so that they can leave the relative shade and, and comfort of the lump of dough that they're a part of and go back out into the world. You know, the world, it's, it's bad enough by itself. We don't have to make it any worse by putting burdens on people. We want to share the grace and the love and the mercy and the glory of God through Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, we want you to be equipped with a deeper, stronger knowledge of Jesus so that you're ready for whatever happens out there. If you're not a Christian, we want you to come into this glorious understanding that you can be saved for time and for eternity. That's what we want to be about. If you suffer from some infirmity, it's for the glory of God. I can never explain how or why it brings God glory any more than the bent woman could have explained her situation, you know, but she could give God glory and bring God glory despite her situation. If you are healthy, don't fail to give God the glory. Be among his worshipers as often as possible. Be in his word, both privately and publicly. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for these things. We thank you for the life of this daughter of Abraham, a difficult life, much more difficult, Lord, because of the culture in which she lived and the, the, uh, just the time in which she lived. And yet many of us, Lord, are suffering in various ways. It's not our fault, Lord, that we were born when we were born. And, and um, Lord, suffering is suffering. It's, it's something that uh, spans the centuries. And so I want to pray for any of those this morning who are suffering from some illness or some infirmity or some injury. Maybe it's a temporary short-term thing that they think is going to be dealt with, or maybe it's a long-term lifetime illness. Maybe it's debilitating. Maybe it's degenerative, and it's only going to get worse. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to shuffle along in it, bringing you glory. Though we can't see how it brings you glory or why you would allow it, we trust you, Lord, to love us and to care for us. And to just live in our little corner of the world, Lord, doing the things that you want us to do so that one day we'll stand before you and you'll tell us that we were faithful, Lord. Maybe we affected one person. Maybe we affected a dozen. Maybe we affected thousands. Who knows? That's for you to decide, Lord. It's for us to just worship you and to lift our hearts uh, heavenward, Lord, and to set our affections there and not to reason why. Lord, maybe we're healthy. And we've never known a day's sickness in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be able still to give you glory for that. Not to think that there's any strength in ourselves or that it's because we're good people or any such thing. But that it's just our lot in life. And Lord, to take advantage of that health and that happiness so that we could be used of you to serve you, Lord. And to, uh, in a sense, bow ourselves down, be bent over worshiping you and 
serving others, Lord, in that position, washing their feet, helping those less fortunate than us spiritually and physically. Minister to us, Lord, through this dear woman. May we never, ever even have thoughts like the ruler of the synagogue who uh, was you know, looking at his world as being interrupted because of this glorious thing that you were doing. As far as our church, Lord, I pray that we would be a, a pure lump of dough, that we would purge out any leaven in our own personal lives and in our corporate life, and that we would be a great and spreading tree for all to come in with no birds in our branches, Lord, that would affect anyone negatively. And that week by week and day by day as we leave our fellowship with one another, we would be more strengthened, more blessed, more able to share the hope that is within us, that of Jesus Christ and His coming soon. We pray these things today in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Some of our guys will be here to pray with you this morning and I would invite you to come down and allow them to share the love of Jesus Christ with you, to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Uh, church is something new to you and, and you have some questions, man, we'd love to talk to you. We don't have membership at our church, so we can't even ask you to join. Uh, we don't want anything from you. We want to give things to you. Uh, and that is a hope and a joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And so uh, if, if you're here today and you haven't been ministered to in some way, just come and let the guys talk with you this morning. Uh, they love to do that. Love to see as many of you as possible this afternoon. If you're able to make it, encourage the kids and just have a time of chowing down afterwards on a bunch of junk food. I mean, just total junk, you know, ice cream and popcorn and, and really, really good hot dogs and stuff. And, and But what a blast. If not, may God bless and keep you as you serve him in Jesus' name. Amen. Give and take away. You give and take away. You give, you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When the sun, when the sun's shining down on me. When the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, and blessed be your name. On the road marked with suffering, though there's pain, though there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. Every blessing. And every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will sing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be Blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the
the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say. Lord, blessed be your name. You give, you give and take away. You give, you take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Amen. God bless you this week.